is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today, I welcome Sabina Nawaz to the show. Sabina will talk about how she works with leaders to help them improve their behavior and style. Sabina, I'm really excited to chat with you today because you've got extraordinary experience in leadership development. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Caroline. I've been looking forward to this and I'm eager to reach your your listeners and uh, hopefully meet some of the questions and needs that they have. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Let's go back to the beginning. You are a fellow career reinventor, uh, starting in software development and then merging into leadership development. Tell me about that, because that's a dramatic change. You mean not everybody makes that true career shift, Caroline? (laughs) What, what I have found, though, is that it's more often than not, people do make some significant shifts in their careers. For me, it uh, was, I'd been uh, successful in software development for about nine plus years and worked at Microsoft, went on sabbatical, where we were uh, given eight weeks of time with no expectations from the company on that time. Contrary to my regular personality, which is go, go, go and book everything 300%, I decided to leave five out of the eight weeks completely unscheduled. I started a nonprofit theater company, but other than that, I had lots of time to sit on the couch and eat bonbons. And (laughs) as happens, when you give yourself the space, all sorts of thoughts started coming unbidden to my mind. And one of them was that it was no longer a matter of if, but when I would become a corporate vice president at Microsoft. It was still five years, maybe 10 years out, but I knew with certainty that I could get there. This had been one of my career aspirations for a long time. I was already one of the most senior women in most settings that I found myself in at work. But when I realized that I could get there, it was one of the most anticlimactic moments of my life, Caroline. I suddenly thought, well, if I already know how to get there, why do I need to spend all this time going to a place where I know the formula? Mm. What next? And had gotten feedback about being a good people manager Of course, there were people who had also given me feedback that I was not a good people manager, but they were more on the positive than on the corrective side. And so I thought maybe I should uh, give back to other managers and help them become great managers. And that's how my switch started. All my friends thought I was crazy to be moving from as a woman in tech to HR, but that's exactly what I did. I told, and and I was very lucky because Microsoft invested in my career development and my career switch without any formal training in my new vocation. I told the hiring manager I might leave in about three weeks because I'm not quite sure what I'm doing or why I want to do this. And she said, I will hire you for three weeks. That began a so far lifelong love affair with the work that I do, where I work with individuals, I help executives and managers become better managers. I help organizations become healthier places to work. 
So that three-week time span was a bit of an audition, wasn't it? For me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yes, it was. And I also had, I had a great safety net because the manager I was leaving said, you can come back anytime. So I really didn't have much to lose to try. Yeah. I was incredibly fortunate. That's amazing. So I know that you're writing a book and I hope I get to learn a little bit more about that today. But one of the things that that really piqued my interest um, learning about you, you're interested in helping executives realize that they might have some behavioral tics, right? And you talk about you know, maybe they're a little bit on the jerk side, right? And and you and I have certainly met our fair share of difficult leaders. And you're helping them reflect on that leadership style and uh, and change and transform. So tell me about that, because that's not an easy journey. It certainly is not an easy journey for the people I coach, which are usually CEOs, C-suite executives, senior executives. And it's not an easy journey because their entire jobs, their entire livelihoods are not easy. They have so many demands on them, so much pressure, and they're constantly in the limelight. So when they work super hard and respond to all these pressures around them and suddenly realize not all is well, something isn't working, what is it? My people aren't quite performing the way I want them to, even though I'm such a badass, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm driving for results, and it used to work really well, what happened? The thing is that when we're under pressure, sometimes the worst of us comes out. I certainly know that's true for me. Just put me in a traffic jam, and <laughs> you'll see the worst of me come out. But imagine folks in these roles who have pressure day in and day out, and sometimes the worst of them comes out. What's worse is that people are so afraid of them, one, because of their positional power, and two, because the worst of them might be coming out, that nobody is telling them that. Instead, what should be overt goes covert. Hmm. And there's tons of research that I'm sure you're familiar with as well, Caroline, which shows that the manager's behavior directly impacts the business results. And that's what we start looking at is how's, how's it working out for you? Yes, you have, you've been promoted this far because you produce great business results, but things are starting to get sludgy. Things are starting to slow down. So what's really going on here? And what we work back to and reverse engineer way to is that those business results are produced by people. People are hugely impacted by the behavior of their managers, whether that's their direct manager or a manager who's seven levels above you, your behavior, your performance is impacted by that manager's behavior. The research shows that when people have bosses who have an adverse effect on them, people lie, people steal, people report more sick days, they're more likely to have heart attacks, their productivity, and certainly their discretionary time that they put into work plummets. So it's really the business case for this. Now, that's still sort of an intellectual pursuit and it does not always uh, suffice because people have had past successes. They're like, well, no, I just have to be, uh, 
more of a badass. <laughs> I've got to yeah. push people even harder. And that's, that's what we need to do. And sometimes they go away and away and do that. And there's not much I can do about it. And I have to wait and see how that turns out. But in many cases, I end up interviewing a full circle of people that work for this manager, their direct reports, maybe some of their skip level people, their management, their peers, and so on. And when I show them the results of that, that's when the big moment happens. The big inflection point of, you mean I'm not universally beloved? <laughs> you mean that thing I did where I thought I was doing it for the betterment of the group and the business actually showed up as me being political and a jerk? So here's my intent, but the impact is completely different. Do you see how they're actually, this is not accurate. Some of this is incorrect and so on. Maybe I should leave. Maybe I should go somewhere else where they're going to appreciate me more. So after revealing the results of these 360 degree interviews, I give them about two weeks to really just absorb the information and to process it, get over some of the defensiveness. When they come back, magic happens because they really get undefended at that point and realize that they're the last ones to know. They're the last ones to find out. And no matter where they go, this sort of feedback is going to find them. Initially, they're going to have success because they will produce immediate, very quick, strong results, but then they're going to plateau and finally people are going to start sabotaging them and leaving their team in droves. So once they realize that, they're much more open to change. And then the beauty about behavioral change, as you and I both know, Caroline, is we can break them into really simple, small steps and start with what I call micro habits that don't, where you don't have to change radically overnight. That change is incremental in time and monumental over time, as one of my colleagues tells me over and over again. So by doing little shifts, making little adjustments, they can move forward. Sabina, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. Sabina, I'm, I'm fascinated by this as a, as a fellow executive coach, and I, I love the percolation time you talked about, giving them a few weeks to really digest that feedback because it, it can be startling. Now, we're all work in, works in progress. You mentioned that before the break. How do you start to unpack that feedback to approach those micro steps to change behavior? Say more about unpack, Caroline. Yeah, how do, how do you begin to 
create the plan for the micro steps so they can really look in the mirror and understand the feedback from their colleagues that they may have been blinded to yes. before. It's really easy. <laughs> the report does most of the work for me because unlike most 360 reports, I actually produce all the verbatims with permission from the interviewees and aside from things they ask me to keep off the record and deliver them to my client. And the words, the exact words of their coworkers does all the talking. I don't have to do much convincing at that point because there's nothing like the visceral experience of the actual words of my coworkers that gives me that color, that flavor, where with, with uh, some processes they may go, well, I don't know if I'm not, if I'm disempowering, I think it might be this way. And, and here I can say, well, here are 10 sentences that tell you exactly mm. in what way they experience you as disempowering. So a lot of that percolation time is, is the time that they're taking to absorb the actual words and come to their own conclusion. When they come to me after that percolation time, they're usually ready. Now, there is a glitch and that happens about, mm, I would say, two months later. So, so they're ready at that point. We, we brainstorm what sorts of behaviors and areas they want to really pick and choose and work on because you cannot work on everything at the same time. I create a plan for them based on that. And out of that, we then identify the top, say three to five, no more than that. And then they track those behaviors on a daily basis. And something I've created called a yes list, which is takes you about 20 seconds at the end of the day to say yes, no, yes, no to the things I'm working on. So what's a, what's a, a behavior or a micro habit? One might be one time a day, I paraphrased somebody else if they've gotten feedback that they don't listen to other people. Or one time a day, I asked a genuine question of curiosity of somebody else. That's it. That's all you get. And you, you can check a yes and get credit if you just do it once a day. But about two months into the process, the honeymoon is over. They start to see some early wins and they get impatient often. And now yeah. they want to go back to that. Let's go faster. Let's rev the engine and go all out. And that's just a mistake. So sometimes when they do that, it backfires because, of course, some of they regress into some of their old behaviors. And the problem is, once people have formed an impression of you, it's really hard to change that impression, not leave alone change yourself. So once you've started making changes and then you regress, it's worse than if you'd never done any of it to begin with. Because people are like, see, that makes they only did that long enough to get their next promotion or to show their boss that they were working on it. And here we are back again. All it takes is one slip up for all that hard work to go away, which is why upfront, we try to be very careful to work on very few things at a really micro level. And even when they think they've nailed it, you're going to do it more and then some more and then some more until it is completely in your muscle memory before we shift to increasing it by, say, 10%. And I love the yes list because it's really an accountability opportunity, right? 
Help me understand the relationship with the colleagues who supplied feedback with the 360. Is there a, a check-in opportunity that happens on a regular basis after you've broken down uh, and created the action steps and the plan and, and taken those few things to work on? You know, how do you, how do you go back and, and uh, relate to those colleagues who shared that really important I encourage my clients to have regular check-ins. And it is for two reasons. Reason number one is to get feedback because you are, are inherently flawed. It's as somebody once told me, it's hard to read the, the label when you're the, you're the bottle. And uh, so getting feedback from some, a source outside of you, especially sources that have already provided you with that feedback, they've already enlisted in, in supporting you and helping you. Uh, and sometimes I will formally go and do a second 360 uh, and get feedback from people as well. The feedback that people get on an ongoing basis, sometimes they'll we will brainstorm and they'll create a personal board of directors about half a dozen of the 15 or so people I've talked with that they go and get feedback from regularly. Now, when they go to get feedback, I encourage them to do two things. One is first, really genuinely seek what has improved by framing it as, I, as you know, I've really been working on my listening skills. I would love to hear from you anything that you've seen me do or say that has improved my listening skills. So, and, and they tee them up ahead of time before doing that check-in so people are watching for that. You want to set people up to catch you do something right, as Ken Blanchard says. And so this allows people to also shift from constantly fault finding to finding the good in the person. I love that. Positive reinforcement. Absolutely. And that also helps get them past that two-month hump because now they're getting that positive reinforcement that this is working. I better keep doing this over and over again. It's also, then they can also ask, what else could I do to get even better at this? What else are you noticing? But how, yeah, go ahead. So be, no, I was just going to say, I appreciate that your sweet spot clientele are CEOs and other C-suite executives. It's an interesting generational shift at this, this moment in time. We're seeing younger leaders emerging, uh, sometimes out of necessity, right? So what kind of advice would you share with those emerging leaders that don't have uh, the season time and the workforce that the more, uh, the older leaders might, right? Because developing into a good leader is something they can be proactive at in their younger days. Absolutely. And I think actually there are things that we do in our younger days that if we carried forward, we would be more successful in our older days or our more experienced days for those of us of a certain age, as I like to say, which is uh, in our younger days, we are keenly aware and cued to what, what are the signals from above us? Because we know that our very livelihood depends on that. So how can we continue to hone and maintain our sensors, our intelligence of sensing our, the impact of our words and actions on other people? How do we look for those micro cues and maintain that connection? How do we ask for feedback on an ongoing basis before it becomes a crisis? How do we carve out time to make this part of our job, 
part of your job is not just pushing out the code that you're writing or testing the widget that you're making or running the assays in the lab for the pharmaceuticals that you're testing. Part of your job is actually connecting with other people, building those relationships, because so much of what you do depends on how you do it. And so much of how you do it is inherently dependent on the goodwill and the collaboration of your colleagues. Beautifully put. Sabina, I treasure you. I learned so much from you today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise. And please come back on the show when the book is done. I know you've got so much research already and you're in the writing stage. So please let me know. I, I can't wait to hear more about it when the when the book launches. Caroline, I'd be honored to do that. I've got 7,000 pages of research and counting. Oh so my goodness. Very, very excited and completely buried in that research at the moment. And and like you, I'm looking forward to it launching it into the world. And I'd love to come back at that point. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely hold you to that. I look forward to that as well. And I wish you great success and enjoy the deliciousness of the writing stage. It is, it is joyful, as you know. Sabina, take good care. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caroline. And if you like our show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new people find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.